It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? Tim, if I was any better, I would be arrested and thrown in jail for the rest of my life. (laughs) Well, that's not appropriate, Lance, uh, for a crime show. We've talked about this. And uh, Lance, in this episode, we we speak to a a great guy, a friend, and he always seems pretty happy, doesn't he? His name is Todd Matthews. I mean, our next guest, in the in the words of David Letterman, our next guest needs no introduction, right? Todd Matthews, the OG citizen sleuth, uh, the person who identified Tent Girl, the decades old mystery of the young woman who was found in a large tent down there in Tennessee. 
he came onto our radar way back in the day, the early days of Crawl Space, and he has always been in our orbit, and we love that because he has a wealth of information. His experience with Namus is legendary, and we're truly humbled that he comes on this show and provides us with his valuable insight for any case that we suggest to him. And he is an absolute expert in a lot of the topics that we discuss here today in that he has worked with NamUs. He is very familiar. He's actually personally put in some of the exclusions for Trenny Gibson. So we are talking about the disappearance of Trenny Lynn Gibson today from the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee. She went missing on October 8th, 1976. She was 15 at the time, Lance. And uh, Todd, again, this is sort of a topic that is right up Todd Matthews' alley to talk to him about exclusions, possibilities. Could Trenny's body have been located and not matched with what we know of the missing persons case? Right. And this is an approach that we want to take moving forward on some of these cases, some of these missing person cases, in a reverse engineering type way, where you have an expert like Todd giving you the information on what if, like you said, a body was found that hasn't been identified. What would you look for in the case of Trenny Gibson? Uh, Considering where she went missing, the people that were around her when she went missing, the elements or any sort of injuries or damage from falls or animals, you know, things like that. So we're kind of taking a reverse engineering look at that. And again, we hope to do that moving forward with other missing person cases. Okay, I really hope you enjoy this and make sure to check out Laura Risty's site. That is CanadianGirl77.com and that's girl with a U. And she's done some incredible work on the disappearance of Trini Lynn Gibson as well. And we've had her on our airwaves several times. In fact, there is even its own spinoff, Missing Trenny Gibson. We have a few episodes there, so you can find Missing Trenny Gibson as a standalone podcast if you just want to listen to those episodes. And hey, everyone, be sure to check out crawlspace-media.com for all of the programs and shows, podcasts, etc. that we have going on. Some new and exciting shows coming up, some announcements and follow the brand new at Crawlspace Media on Twitter. And follow us on social media at Missing CSM. Thanks a lot, everybody. are being joined today by the one and only Todd Matthews. Todd, how are you today? Great. How are you guys? Couldn't be better. Um, you're, you you just filled us in on a ton of stuff that you're doing that has happened in the past couple of weeks since we spoke to you. So we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Really, how busy are you before we get into uh, the, the subject matter of this conversation? It is crazy because there's so many things coming along at the same time. I did a film. I worked on a film in Texas. It just happened chance, you know, it was, it was uh, they needed a redneck uh, with the film. So I happened to be that. So I uh, worked on that and I met a few people there and I think we're going to continue to do some films. And we actually found a music video here, a uh, country rap video. Um, 
guy that sung the songs twanging round are their rap names and um one of the songs just was just perfect for this type of work so we actually filmed the video here and i got to bury somebody so that was pretty cool so uh and then uh you know the possibilities with namus the namus grant i might have an opportunity there i heart radio is an opportunity so uh but i'm not a very patient person and uh, it's just there's just so many things happening at once i just want something to go so I can keep myself busy. So I'll forget that I'm 51. <laughs> wow. Well, it does sound like you are keeping busy doing some in front of the camera stuff. That's exciting. Can't wait to see that. Uh, you're, what did you, you said you dug a grave. What was that? So the, the video was called My Will Be Done. So it's about a guy that had a near-death experience. He, he dreamed that he went to heaven and God told him it wasn't his time. So me being the Grim Reaper, in the video, he's in the valley of the shadow of death. So I'm there too. And you see me digging a hole at the end of it. He goes, he's in the hole and you see me covering the hole up. He wakes up in bed. Okay. But it's pretty cool. Guys, I have to watch it. I really enjoyed it. I instantly bonded with so many of those people that I met in Texas. And uh, these guys are from Bowling Green actually. So they're from our neck of the woods, but they have so much music that I didn't think I would like that. I, I'd like to help them produce some of their videos and, work on that type of stuff, you know, happier things. I'm ready to tell the stories and, um, and maybe not do so much of the background work. A lot of the forensic type work, I'd rather tell the stories now. And you say that as a skull sits over your shoulder and, uh, there's a bone pen in your hand. <laughs> well, Todd, we are so grateful to have you here spending some time with us talking about does and about these mysteries that uh, that you do you do love to dig into and we do as well and we're here today to talk about Trenny Lynn Gibson so she's a missing person she's been missing since October 8 1976 in the Great Smoky Mountains and a lot of people have went missing in parks um, thousands actually have been missing in parks Yes, and, and that's one of the things that always comes up with Trini's disappearance is that somebody goes into these areas, they wander off, and then they succumb to what? One of a couple of things, uh, injury, wild animals, weather, uh, but that's not really the, the straightforward uh, situation with Trenny's um, disappearance, as we know, because we spoke with uh, Laura Risty, who's a uh, expert on Trenny's story here. And, and you're, you're, you're coming in from a different standpoint as far as like what these um, y with your experience of, of having to identify and categorize these John and Jane Doe's. So that, that, that's where your angle is coming in. But Trini's disappearance isn't somebody who went on a solo hike. Like she was with her, her, uh, her, her classmates. This was a, a school trip and there's some mysterious circumstances and suspicious circumstances surrounding that. Um, how do you approach that situation you know if someone comes to you and they say this person has been missing and they're in the you know the last place they were seen was in some form of wilderness how do you even approach that right off the bat sorry for that seven minute lead into a question well it it is difficult because uh, there's so many things that can happen to you in the woods like you said you know the animals you could be completely hidden uh sinkholes you know that's a big deal and a lot of our area here in tennessee because we're in this area um, there are vertical sinkholes and you could literally be completely out of sight in a very small hole very quickly, uh, something that maybe nobody else discovered yet. But the fact of it is that so many people are in and out of that park on any given day 
it's hard to believe. And even with the construction of some of those areas where she was last seen, that somehow they, they wouldn't have run across some remains. But did they know if they were human remains or did, you know, that's happened before where remains are found and it's assumed they're animals and they're discarded or just left there. So, so many different things, uh, but it's, it's better than most missing person cases where you have no idea where they're missing from. At least there's a starting point at the park. Right. And Trenny has been missing uh, quite a long time since 1976. Uh, and of course she went missing from the Great Smoky Mountains uh, National Park on a class trip. You know, and once she goes into a database like NamUs, of course, Tennessee was one of the first states to pass, uh, require entry into NamUs. And of course, her case did go into NamUs. So I know that there's dental DNA fingerprint information on her. So if the remains are found, they could be compared. There are 23 exclusions in NamUs to her, meaning that one of her biometrics was compared uh, to 23 different unidentified sets of remains and excluded based on either dental DNA or fingerprint analysis. Uh, that doesn't mean that they were a big possible match. It's just a process of elimination. And a lot of times family will see that like, why did you think my person was this unidentified person? Why didn't somebody call us? And it literally is just a process of elimination. And you can't call a family 23 times and say, hey, we're, we're going to compare to this person. You know, it's just literally just getting a, Stray pieces off the table is really what it's about. Todd, can you take us through some of the things that happen when an exclusion is made? What's the process of that? So usually they're self-starters. Like if uh, a person that has an unidentified body decides they want to look at the, the missing persons, like NamUs has an automated system to flag cases based on, you know, biology, geography, physical characteristics, they can say these 13 missing persons could be your Jane Doe. And medical examiner law enforcement can go through to see are there fingerprints to compare. So many times we'll have fingerprints on a missing person, but we have skeletal remains. So that cuts that out. So many times we'll have skeletal remains with dental records that you can see because you have the teeth and you'll have a missing person that nobody brought forward the dental records or they're already gone. Then it's DNA or nothing. And that can take an incredibly long time. But I see a lot of medical examiners and law enforcement that like to go through the process of elimination. And sometimes that's a really good way to approach it. Uh, you know, you can find out who somebody is by finding out who they're not. And it just narrows it down so you're not getting that repetitive, um, you know, submissions from public. Sometimes the public will submit these. I've done it. Um, you're not getting the same over and over and over again. You're publicly marking it. This is not them. And I think now that the families are beginning to understand that that's there for that purpose, it's, it's visual so to keep people from making the submissions over and over. And it's not really something that you would want to bother them with unless it is a match. And have you ever seen an, an error with uh, someone who has been excluded, like uh, they've been wrongly excluded, if you will? Yes, uh, I have. We went back through several that were in Doe Network. Like we were doing matches and exclusions long before in Doe Network. So we had a lot of things that come from law enforcement. They would tell us this is an exclusion based on, they might or might not tell us if it was dental DNA or fingerprints. They just, it's an exclusion. Uh, once we started entering them into NamUs, you have to mark the method of exclusion. So I would go back and recompare all of them. So how was it excluded? And then I find out, eye color. We can't do that. 
you know, that's that's not an exclusion that NamUs would actually accept. We've had one case, I can't think of the girl's name. There was one in uh, Ohio that was excluded based on dental records. And once we looked at those dental records, we found out that it, it was indeed the person and it was originally excluded. That's why it's really important that a forensic odontologist or a forensic dentist looks at those records. You know, the dental record is just not somebody making an exclusion. And you mentioned that eye color is not something that NamUs accepts for exclusions. Why not? Well, it, it, a lot of that can fall into an opinion. So you really don't want to base it on even hair color, eye color. You know, sometimes I've seen bodies that were visually obviously not going to be that person, but that's a big assumption. And people can change quite dramatically. I've actually seen when my uncle passed away and he just had a heart attack, I saw him in the hospital, you know, when I took his wife, I would not have recognized him. If somebody said, who's the man laying on the table, I would say, I, I don't know who he is. But that loss of life from his body is just everything changed. His expression changed. Uh, they took his glasses off. He had his uh, teeth out. You know, of course, he'll take your false teeth out. And his hair was always combing. I thought it was really messed up, but I, I would not have known him at all. So things can change quite dramatically after death. So to be a legal forensic exclusion, you need to have that type of evidence, dental, DNA, or fingerprints. That's really the only true method of making a legal exclusion. And did you personally make some of these exclusions in Trenny's case on NamUs? I transferred some into the system, some some that we had had before right off the bat. Like, uh, of course, anybody that we saw in Tennessee, I would want to exclude it if it was right in this area, especially in East Tennessee. So a lot of those were transferred from what I already knew into NamUs. And you just, uh, you know, the system, I mean, actually, it would, it would actually recreate that, what we already knew. Uh, you can fine-tune the exclusions if you want to throw out height, weight, all of that, just to make sure that it's not filtering based on something you're not sure of. Like, you might not know exactly how tall somebody is. And I lied on my driver's license about my weight, and I think a lot of people have. So, uh, you know, you got, in, or it changed quite dramatically over the years. So there's a lot of things that you got to, that's why it has to be kind of fine-tuned. And that's why the public don't have access to that. That's something they do very manually, like Doe Network. We've done it for years. It's a manual process there. And it should have some thought put into it. It should have a lot of consideration, like looking at them, using the human mind. But with NamUs, it's using algorithms. You know, it's using, uh, you know, the system is comparing. It speeds it up but it's not a human mind. Still a human has to come in and decide if what the system is suggesting is a reality. Right. So that's like uh, the series of checks and balances that come with identifying or excluding one of these bodies. And what sort of, I guess, expectations or considerations do you need when you're looking into something that's over four decades old? Like, are you looking for something specific and I mean, everything is already deteriorated what are you looking for? How do you, how do you kind of hone in on something that's that old? Well, obviously you're going to try to go for DNA at that point, because that's probably the thing they didn't do four decades ago. And if there's any other methods, they, they probably tried it. Um, and ancestry DNA. If we get a body out, of course, I want to go to DNA solves David Middleman and try to get a profile uploaded there to get a family name. In fact, we've got a case in Kentucky that I'm looking to exhume, uh, you know, through a documentary, 180 years old. If there's something there, we have a chance to identify Jane Doe after 180 years. 
So I think that's going to be an incredible um, journey. You know, I've known about that case since I was just young, you know, and the town is a little reluctant. Uh, most of the town, they either want to do it or they want, don't want to do it. The county leaders, they're like, they want to leave her alone right now. And there's a lot of stigma. Uh, let the dead rest. It's too late. There's nobody that's going to remember her anyway. But there is possibly a family that, you know, I, I think to respect her would be to give her her name. There's still going to be a huge mystery. You know, how she died, why she died, why she gave the wrong name at the hotel when she registered. There's a lot of things about the Harrodsburg Jane Doe. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Do you know what they have on Trenny at NamUs that has been used uh, specifically for the exclusions? Uh, wondering if it's DNA, dental records, or what it is? It appears to be DNA and dental records that are being used for comparison. So, you know, somebody that age probably wasn't fingerprinted. Now, I have done that. We went back to the high school here in town and through their science class and I try to get everybody to do a fingerprint card and then keep them, you know, take them home, put them in a family Bible, put them somewhere and hopefully we'll never ask for them again. And the, the reason I've done some of those is because of things like this, you know, uh, that, that fingerprint record, hopefully we'll never use it, but it could be the most important document in the world for that family. If, if we happen to have it, it could shape decades off of the search. It, it could change everything. Okay. How so? I, I maybe maybe um, my brain wasn't keeping up with what you were saying. <laughs> so you you got uh, you received fingerprints from from uh, classmates. Is that what you said? No, uh, like the high school. I'll I'll go to the high school and their forensic class, and we'll we'll fingerprint each student and let them keep their card. That way, if they were to go miss body and a body was found and it wasn't quite sure, it, we wouldn't have to wait for a long DNA process. Oh, fingerprinted. And that can be done almost instantaneously. How do you present that to school students without sounding totally morbid? And how what what's the age range of these kids? Well, usually it's the senior level of high school and it's their forensic class often. And they've invited me to be there anyway. So they're they're up to the reality. Yeah. Uh, I usually watch a lot of the things that I do in the news or film and, you know, so I'm, I'm well known to them. So they know what we're going to talk about if I'm there and the process of being fingerprinted and understanding how important they are in, in forensics in general, you know, what better way to teach them other than, all right, we're going to fingerprint you and you can keep this valuable document. I'm not going to keep it. Uh, you know, I can't, I don't want to be responsible for them, but they can take them home and hopefully we'll never need to use it. But I mean, the fact that we're creating something that could be used, and I've encouraged them to take their dental records. If you go get an x-ray anywhere today, it's going to be digital, most likely. Uh, I have my dentist to email me my records. So it's in, in my email. If somebody's looking for my dental records, uh, my wife will be able to get them out of my email fairly quickly. And I've actually, we actually passed a law here. Well, it's a resolution here in Tennessee this year for such cases as trainees. Um, we've asked that if you're a medical care provider and you have any type of record, on a missing person. It is not a violation of HIPAA law to raise your hand and tell law enforcement, by the way, I have Trini's dental records, just so you know. And I think when you push the records halfway across the table, it makes it easier for law enforcement to reach out and take them. It kind of makes it hard for them to put it off. So many times, uh, you know, I went to find dental records and they've not been uploaded or digitized and they're gone. It's just, you know, the 
dental care provider are not taking those records in particular for your identification. They're taking them for a treatment plan. So therefore, they're not really obligated to keep them after a period of time. But at some point, they could become evidence. And, you know, to, to raise your hand and say, hey, I see that so-and-so is missing, missing. He's a patient of mine. Or if uh, I put a knee replacement in that lady and uh, I do happen to have detailed x-rays, it's not a violation of HIPAA law. So to make a resolution where we've made it known to people, that means it'll go into, into training. Now that it's a state comment, a state resolution, it'll be mentioned in training when they train law enforcement so that it's uh, expected that if you have some type of record, it's no problem for you to step up with it and say, hey, I have this. And it could keep it from being purged or lost. So many times I see records where there's a checkbox and name us, dental records are available, but they're not uploaded. That's useless. You know, if available and not uploaded is not useful. Um, if they're uploaded and they're in the system, they can be compared proactively by other people. If I had her dental records in NamUs and somebody was looking for an unidentified body and they had dental records on their unidentified, that person, that medical examiner could make the exclusion without even bothering anybody, without calling somebody saying, hey, can you upload those records or can you send them to me? Available is not available if they're not uploaded readily available. When it gets to the point where you would make that exclusion, you're, are you double checking or is someone else double checking as that human too? Yeah, I mean, it, when they go in, the uh, regional program specialist will see it. They will see the exclusion. And, you know, there have been cases where they've been denied, where somebody has made an attempt to eye color or multiple reasons, you know, a height, weight, eye color, um, and or pause them and, or, you know, either deny them or actually pause it and say, hey, we actually have dental records. Let's go ahead and compare them so that we can make this a dental exclusion as well. So those are important. But uh, you, you need not go in there because obviously 99.9% of them are going to be DNA exclusions because CODIS can, if we went through and marked every one that would have been a, a, a CODIS exclusion because there wasn't a hit, you'd be doing it forever. All these cases would be filled so full. Now, if there's a reason like this really looks close, uh, only DNA can really determine. That's when you mark that exclusion, not on every human that was possibly could have been in CODIS. You wouldn't want to go to that length. You know, but there's some that you can see both have full profiles at National CODIS searching. You can probably assume that if it had been a match, it would have hit. But to be on the safe side, I would ask for a direct comparison and let you know, a DNA analyst say, I can confirm these are not, that are not a match. You can't exclude based on DNA. And getting back to the fingerprint, uh, you, you, you made me think of something. Well, how do you handle or have you ever handled like a partial fingerprint? Yes. You know, we had, uh, when I was with NamUs, we had two forensic examiners and there was an opt-in there was partial prints or, or decomposed prints where they're really digging deep to find something. They can enhance those fingerprints, faded prints. I've seen them go through and uh, enhance the cards so that we could get a better look at them. But it's, it's a true science too. And really the only person that should make a fingerprint exclusion is a, you know, certified fingerprint examiner. Even though it looks like, you know, I've seen some that I know that's not going to be a match because obviously those are two different fingerprint patterns, but there's so many things that you don't know, you know, it, were they pro properly collected, you know, so, uh, is there any way the image could have been inverted? 
just the same with dental records. And you need to let somebody that's trained to spot those discrepancies and, you know, that's done it before and have been trained to look for them. But a lot of times you'll see law enforcement, you know, maybe go ahead and check something. It's like, oh, you're not really an expert in that. You know, you want to be sure because these are homicides. Very often these unidentifieds are homicides. You can't guess. And are we, do we know if uh, Trenny, if her fingerprints are, are out there documented? Was, was she ever fingerprinted? I don't recall ever having seen them in NamUs. So I don't think they were. And I don't know how helpful they'd be if she turns out to be decomposed remains. Right, right. I mean, what if like her body was discovered with something that was on her person at the time? Would those fingerprints be retrievable? Are they, did they survive that time? Does it, I guess, does it depend on where the body is located in the, in the elements? Uh, definitely. You know, I, I just feel like she's somebody that's not been found yet, you know, and you look at it, you, you try to, I try to look for uh, unidentified cases that were found years ago, and maybe they didn't get the full benefit of modern forensic analysis. Could she have been found in another area? Could she be alive? You know, that's all possibilities, you know, and back in the day, you wouldn't think a lot about human trafficking, but yeah, I mean, that is a possibility. And uh, have you ever been to the uh, Great Smoky National Park? Oh, we live in, I'm in the shadow of it, basically. But yeah, I've been there a lot. Uh, there's a Jane Doe there from 1974, uh, a lady that died under the tramway. No natural causes, apparently. We're looking at getting her DNA ready to go to DNA solves and Authorum Labs. Oh, that's great. I'm going to try to, uh, you know, force the crowdsource fundraising. Uh, getting in the local media. So that's my job. We partnered at Doe Network and DNA Science. We partnered. Um, so that's what we'll do. I'm going to try to document it as much as possible. So there could be something that I might cover on iHeartRadio. Um, and then local media-wise, try to broadcast it and get it out there so that it can be crowdsourced, crowdfunded. And then obviously they're getting their cases. You know, they're getting their work. So that's a good symbiotic relationship. You know, I want to tell the stories but I got to get the DNA there first. And that's great funding. That's the, the main thing has been funding for some of these cases. Why don't we have an ancestry? Because we, we don't, because there's no cost about $5,000 to run those tests. But the more we can get in there, the better off we are to get as many of them in there as possible. So my project in Tennessee is Tennessee resolved. I want to get as many and I've contacted regional forensic centers all across Tennessee, obviously because I'm here and I can get to them easily and, I know the news media in the area, and I'm going to really have a campaign this summer of Tennessee Resolve, as many as possible. I got two cases in Chattanooga that I'm getting responses back from. So obviously the oldest, you know, it's not only a body that was found yesterday or, or even a couple of years ago right off the bat. We got to go for the oldest first and try to get as many of them in that ancestry database as possible. And then the crowdsource, you know, to make sure we've, we're getting the money to do it. And that's how people help, even five ten dollars uh, scattered across our state, even across the country, is a good thing. It's not a lot to ask for, and everybody benefits from it. The public safety benefits from it. A lot of these cases are representation of somebody getting away with murder. So if you want to learn about it, you might not be able to cyber sleuth and match up pictures. And, you know, some of that stuff's already been done. A lot of these cases have been so looked at there's nothing else to do other than this. So it's, it's time. So that's, that's why I say I want to tell the stories and get the stories out there so that we can finally resolve these cases. It's wonderful. And, and with Trenny's case, 
where do you start? And in your heart of hearts, do you think that she made it out of the, the those mountains? Do you think she made it beyond that trail or, or a certain distance from where she ducked off the trail? I'd have to think after this many years, she's just, you, you hate to have no hope. But, you know, the, the greatest possibility sounds like she didn't make it out of that park. And that's something we can ask families for. Um, you can also submit your DNA to the Ancestry DNA. If you have an Ancestry.com DNA profile, you can put yours in there for comparison. So if you're a family member of a missing person and you've had your DNA worked up to expedite this process, you can also have your DNA put into the system at no cost. As long as you've had an Ancestry test, it's a basic file transfer. It's easy enough to do and there's clear instructions on the DNA Solves web- website. So to put yours in there in case there is a John or Jane Doe in the system that could be your loved one that for some reason has never made the connection. Uh, that's something that you can proactively do. And I think uh, hopefully we can provide instructions for people. And that's what the families of the missing can do is, is donate their DNA uh, to this if they had an ancestry test. And why is it uh, that you think Trenny may not have made it out of the park? What, what is it about the park that makes it so dangerous? Well, it's dangerous everywhere. There's ravines, like I said, there's uh, vertical caves, there's wild animals. There's just so many things that can wipe a person out, you know, in, in a, like that, even being covered with leaves. And I just feel like if she had been out after all of these years, I think she would have surfaced somewhere. If she was alive and well and in hiding for whatever reason, that's a complicated thing for a person that young to do is to go into some type of hiding and, and maintain it for all of these years, you know, at her age, it wouldn't have been easy and it wouldn't have been easy to contain somebody that long. It's happened. Those girls in Ohio, you know, it can happen, but it just, I just, I don't know. I just feel like that she didn't make it out of that part. Hope I'm wrong. Hope she's alive and, and she comes back to us one day. I hope I'm wrong. No, but you're, you're absolutely right. The circumstances prior to that field trip didn't suggest somebody who was intending on disappearing for uh, any any reason that that was obvious i mean she didn't it, 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 she didn't have the type of lifestyle where she was going to run away permanently she was young too and we're talking about 1976 like that's uh, Someone had to have seen somebody hitchhiking or or going into a store, something like that. Like there, it, I feel like you could stand out a little bit more back then, especially when you're completely unprepared to go missing. Um, where where do you go from here, though? Have you ever uh, started a or championed a uh, a search for somebody? Because if she's still in there, I understand that the the terrain is probably pretty rough, and it's been over forty years, but something has to be left of her in there, right? You would think so, but it's been a long time. But I think, uh, you know, with, with the project that I've got going in Tennessee with the unidentified bodies, obviously we're going to touch on some of the missing too and ask their families. You know, I'm getting the information from David Middleman about, you know, how to word asking families to come forward with their DNA. Uh, so that's something I would do. And, you know, they're going to be mentioned when we do news media. We're going to mention the other people. Trini is a perfect time for this girl, the woman that was died in 1974. They're not a match. It's not going to be her. But I can mention some of the people that also, Dennis Martin, that went missing in the park. And I really had, and this is something strange, I had a, Dennis Martin is a young boy that went missing in the park, six years old. I got a phone call the other day from Dennis Martin. It wasn't that Dennis Martin. But being in my line of work, when somebody calls us, this is Dennis Martin. 
you know, so they, it was it was a surprise. It was a guy that actually was going to look at a, my roof for an estimate on the roof. And uh, but when he just made that statement, me being me, this is Dennis Martin. It's like, oh my God! So all this was running through my head at once. Like this is could this be him? Because that's happened to me before, where somebody calls and say I'm this missing person, and it turned out to be true. So. Uh, anybody that gives me a call like that, that, that kind of gives me a little bit of a shock. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for, uh, for joining us here. This has been a, uh, a great discussion, great conversation about Trini Gibson and the whole process, um, things that we don't see. And uh, so it was very helpful and informative. Thank you so much, Todd. All right. Thank you, guys. It's good talking to you. Good talking to you as well. And keep up the great work. Well, and if we get anything, when we do have a Trini broadcast, I mean, where we're mentioning her in, in one of these news, as soon as we get the DNA sent for that lady and we build her page on DNA Solves, uh, I'm going to hit the local media. So you'll at least have a link where we're kind of explaining where we're going next with it. But I mean, the missing's just as equally important, you know, to a project like this. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.